You're listening to... No, that's not real. You're listening to The Heidi Rue Show. Yeah, that's better. Inspiring. Entertaining. Real. The Heidi Rue Show. Today we have a wonderful guest on today, Danielle Grable. So let me just tell you a little bit about Danielle, first of all. Okay, so she was the first woman to compete in and complete Epic Five, which consists of five iron distance triathlons. So the total of that is... Okay, get this, 12 miles of swimming, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Danielle, 560 miles of biking, and 131 miles of running, five days, right? Five correct. islands. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. But that's not, that's that's part of her story, um, but she began as a 220-pound couch potato before even accomplishing any of this. So Danielle, I thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. But I really want to find out, um, you know, how did you go from being a couch potato to being the first woman to complete the (laughs) Epic Five? Well, it was a um, journey that began for me in about 2006. I went to the doctor. Just um, I was actually having some eye surgery and I needed to have a routine physical just to release for anesthesia. And this doctor, he's in his late 70s, and he just kind of set me down and was like, look, you have gained a lot of weight. I've been seeing you for about four or five years. And at the rate that you're going with your family history, you're just on a trajectory that's going to include stuff like type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. And I was really young. I mean, I think it was about 22 at the time. And that was really the first time that anybody had ever um, kind of proposed it to me in a way that wasn't about aesthetics. You know, you, you're always worried about how you look and your genes don't fit right. You're not comfortable in your body, but I worked in geriatrics. So I'm in this field of aging and I'm, I'm in an industry where I'm helping people, um, you know, live these long, prosperous, healthy lives for as long as possible. And here I am thinking I'm not even going to be one of my clients one day. (laughs) So that was really the first time that I was, I was like, wow, this is, I, I can't do this anymore. This right. is not, it's not just about, um, you know, having to shop in plus size clothing anymore. It's about mm. the fact that I'm not going to live hmm. to be 50, 60, 70 years old. And what a change too as a 22 year old, because I mean, you know, the mindset then when we're 22, it's right. just like, oh, we've got all the time in the world, exactly. you know, like, oh, that's so far away. We don't right. really need to think about that. So right. what a wake up call. It was a huge wake up call. So what did you do then? Like, I mean, the next day, like how, because nothing ever happens overnight, no, right? No, In fact, that night I went home and I ordered pizza <laughs> and I got pizza and wings and ranch dressing and I, and beer. And I just, I literally ate until I was sick. I mean, I was in denial because yeah. I was angry at first. I was mad. Like, you know, who are you to talk to me like that? Like, who are you to tell me I'm not invincible? (laughs) I'm not going to live forever. Like, who are you? And then the next day I was like, you know, he's right. I got to do something. Um, Unfortunately, it was pretty overwhelming because at that point, I'm sure you can imagine all of my eating habits. I didn't do anything right. You know, I put sugar and creamer in my coffee. I ate McDonald's for breakfast. I would order Chinese food for lunch. Um, so I didn't have any habits that were good, like nothing. So it was overwhelming thinking about I need to change every aspect of my life. So what I would do is I would just give up one thing a week. So I would give wow. up sweet tea one week and then Cokes the next week. And then, you know, after a month. So it wasn't as overwhelming as you have to cut out all your sugar. 
did you focus on the scale then at first, or did, was that your own? That was that your plan of attack? Was I'm just going to cut out one thing a week mm-hmm. and then kind of go from there, or? I focused on the nutrition first because mm-hmm. I knew that my eating habits were so bad. And I had played sports growing up. I mean, I knew about working out. I knew how important that was. But I was like, I've got to clean up the eating because mm-hmm. I feel bad. I don't have any energy because I'm, I knew that I was putting bad things into my body. So I was like, let me just, you know, join Weight Watchers. I'm like, let me focus on the food first. So no, you know, I went a good six or eight weeks without getting on the scale. And then I was losing weight. And I'm like, okay, now I need to start weighing myself and tracking my progress. I'm a very, very goal-oriented person. Yeah. So that was important for me. Sure. So then when did the the physical activity kind of um, come about? I, I would... I have a cousin that came out with a workout video and I would do the, her workout video at home because I was so embarrassed. I mean, I just still felt so uncomfortable. I was still... I wouldn't have made it through like a regular class at the gym. So yeah. the... I I would do her video at home, and then when I was able to do her entire video without stopping, then I was like, okay, I can join a gym now. I'm ready for the gym. Like, I just needed to give myself some time to kind of ease my body into Mm it. Um, And once I got into the gym, like I said, you know, I've always been competitive, even when it hasn't had anything to do with sports. Um, so I've always been really driven and competitive. So I would go to the gym and be like, okay, let me just do 10 minutes on the stair climber. Okay. Now I'm going to do 10 minutes on the elliptical machine. And I would just kind of bounce around from, from, you know, thing to thing. And, you know, one of the things that really kind of clicked for me was associating how I felt with what I was eating. You know, I'm putting good things in my body and now I feel better. I go to the gym and now I wake up the next day and my body feels better. So associating those good choices um, really helped me to continue that rather than saying, well, now I can't have any Chinese food anymore and that makes me really upset. So rather than focusing on all the things I couldn't have, you know, I kind of lean more into, into this is what I'm doing and as a result, my body looks better. Yeah, everything that you're saying too is like everything that they say that you need to do to yes. be successful. And yeah. I'm just amazed that you were able to think that way. First of all, at such a young age, but you know, I mean, I've had so last week we had on um, Dr. Sean Haywood, and she's a, a psychologist mm-hmm. and a life coach, and she talks about the best way to be able to accomplish those goals is right. to set them small, like you did every right. week, and then also not to. Um, align your goals or create these goals that have a deprivation factor right? so that you're going without. And instead, you exactly what you said is to associate, okay, if I go work out, I'm going to feel so much better. right? And I love even what you said, too, about I'm just going to do 10 minutes on the stair climber right? Um, because sometimes it can be so overwhelming. Um, exactly. I, I, those are just such great tips. Yeah. So how then did you get to be the this ultra marathon, ultra athlete? Um, I mean, where did that come from? Well, I started taking spin classes at the gym and I just met these people and that's in the guy that taught the spin class, Keith. He is my absolute best friend. He's the guy that taught me how to ride a bike. He literally and he's like, you'd be great at this. I didn't know how to swim. I didn't know how to do anything. And he just, this group of triathletes kind of adopted me. Um, and what was interesting was that they were all training for an Ironman and I had nothing to compare myself to. I had no context for what an Ironman was compared to a sprint, but I started off doing sprints. 
they would be like, we're going to go ride 50 miles this weekend. You want to come with us? Sure. And even though I'd only ridden 20 miles the weekend before, I had no idea. So I would show up for these rides like totally unprepared. I had no food. I'd have like one water bottle and they'd be looking at me like, what's kind, wrong with you? Like we kind of thought, you know, because I would go to the gym and I would do these really intense workouts. They were like, they kind of thought that I knew what I was doing. And then I'd show up and they'd be like, oh, wait, she has no idea what she's doing. So they would just kind of adopt me and, and they were really nice about it. I mean, they, they, they could tell how driven I was. They could tell how much I wanted. I mean, I looked up to them. They were all like older brothers and sisters to me. And I would just kind of tag along like this little puppy dog. Like, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Okay. And that's exactly what it was. I mean, I idolized them. I thought they were amazing. And I, I would follow them around and literally want to do exactly what they did. I wanted to be just like them. I mean, I thought they were the coolest kids in school. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So tell me how what how did you feel when you accomplished that first sprint triathlon? Like what was that feeling like? It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was completely amazing. It was one of those things where it was like I never in a million years would have thought that I would be mm-hmm. doing this ever. Yeah. Ever. And yeah. then um you know, then you sign up for an Olympic and you're like, "Well, that's not that bad." Hmm. Now I wonder what I can do. Yeah. Um so you just, you know, keep trying and you're like, well, that that wasn't that terrible. I wonder if I can do an Ironman. Yeah, that is incredible. You know, I, um, so how I found out about you too was because I started doing some sprint triathlons like a few years ago and, um, they were so wonderful. So my first sprint triathlon and I had done some running races, I'd done half marathons and all that stuff, but Man, when I f- crossed that finish line, I also was like you too. I could not swim. Like I literally was yeah. like, I can doggy paddle. That's <laughs> about it. And so I worked really hard to try and, you know, make sure I was a good swimmer. But when I crossed that finish line, there had never been so much of a high that I've experienced from any other race right. a- than after a sprint triathlon. And I that was the day where, you know, you get that medal. And I was like, okay, this is so embarrassing because I want to go into the grocery store store and just go, hey, look at my medal. Look what I did. I just swam, biked, and I ran today all at once, all in one race. Yeah. Um, And people should be really proud of it because, you know, everybody has a different journey. Some people, if you grew up swimming and you swam in college, it might not be that big of a deal to you. But for others, like we know what we did to to make it to the start line and we know what we gave up to make it to the finish line. So it means a lot to people. And there's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard work that goes into it. And so people don't, you know, people don't realize. Like you, some people could just get up and go run a 10K tomorrow, but for a lot of people, that's a huge deal. Yes, I mean, you can't is. just, you can't just do that. Right. Absolutely. Yep. What has been the hardest part of training for all these ultra races for you? Well, it's a huge commitment of time. So obviously the longer the race, the more time that it takes to train. Um, when I was training for Epic Five, I was putting in anywhere from a 25 to a 35-hour week training. And that wow. that's the actual training. It doesn't count driving to and from places. Um, so it's a huge, huge commitment. Yeah. And you really have to um, – you have to plan for that and you have to have all your ducks in a row. You have to be super organized. Um, it means you don't have time to be on social media. It means you're skipping a lot of things. Um, you know, you're telling your friends, hey, I'm kind of checking out for the next six months. Yeah. Like, I hope it's okay. You're going to see me 
in six months. Right. <laughs> but right. that's a that's a hard thing. I mean, somebody has to and somebody has to be picking up the slack. I mean, you're not doing laundry, you're not grocery shopping, you're not keeping your house clean. You're solely focused on training. Mm-hmm. And so for some people, that's not really realistic. Like if you're mm-hmm. a mom and you have little kids at home, you can't just be like, hey, I'm going to see <laughs> I'm you checking in six, out for months. six months. Yeah, it doesn't really work like that for everybody. Right. And I'm really fortunate to be in a situation where, you know, I have people around me that can help support me and, and help make that possible. But that's that's hard. I mean, right. other people have to pick up your slack. Yeah. So. Which I think that's, for me, that's why I really like the sprint triathlon mm-hmm. because I still am able yep. to kind of be able to train in all those different areas, yeah. but yet it's not as much of a time commitment as yeah, absolutely. something bigger. But I can't even imagine the feeling of accomplishment, though, of yeah. after all that training and being able to actually do it. Um, you talked about, I read in one um, article about when you were doing the, the Epic Five, and you were on the side of the road crying, mm-hmm. which, listen, I would be there too. <laughs> like when I read that, I was like, of course she's on the side of the road crying because it that stuff happens. Like yep. when you train for something that huge and it takes that much toll. I mean, it's not just about your body, right? It's right. about your mental and your your soul. And um, so tell me about that moment and what made you keep going? That was a really tough day. That was day four in Maui. And in day three in Molokai, we had had some real unfortunate. We were following a storm cell um, through Hawaii. And so our flight that day had been delayed about two or three hours. So we didn't start racing until almost 11 o'clock in Molokai. And the problem was when you're flying from island to island, um, if your flights get delayed one day and you start late, that doesn't change your flight for the next day. So the so. All it did really was just set us back in terms of time. So all that time that we were delayed that morning on day three in the airport, that was supposed to be the time that we were sleeping. So I, and combined with the fact that I had a really bad race, so I just didn't have a good race. Mm-hmm. So it took me a couple hours longer than it should have um, because I completely fell apart on the run. When I finished day three, I had 30 minutes before I had to be at the airport. To, oh, my goodness. So Jason was like, you know, do you want to sleep? Do you want to eat or do you want to shower? He's like, you have 30 minutes. And I was like, I want to sleep. So I literally got into a car, not having showered, not having eaten nothing. And I slept for 30 minutes. And then I woke up in the airport and it was like, all right, you got to go do this again. And when we got in Maui, um, when we arrived in Maui, the wind was just blowing. It was horrible. And I realized like we were following a storm. It was going to be another day of of Mm. bad weather. And I got... Um, you know, had the swim was really, really rough. So we mm-hmm. ha- they had us do nine out and backs because the water was just so rough. In fact, right. I was that morning, I was like, I don't even want to put my wetsuit on because I'm convinced. I was so convinced they were going to cancel the swim. I was like, they're not going to let – there's no way they're going to let us get in that water. Yeah. That's how horrible it looked. But they let us get in the water. Oh, my goodness. So then I get on the bike, and I'm just dying. I mean, the wind was awful. It was so awful. And I looked down at my bike computer, and I was going so slow. And biking is what I'm good at. So to look down and be 26 miles in, and I had literally averaged like 11 miles an hour, I was doing the math in my head, and I was like, I'm not going to be able to sleep. Like, it's going to be another day of, of not sleeping if mm-hmm. I keep going like this. And I'm like, there's just no way. So I had a complete meltdown. And I'm not the kind of person that cries. Yeah. I'm on the side of the road, totally overwhelmed, crying, losing my mind. And then I got back on the bike. Jason was like, take this five-hour energy. We were 26 miles in. And he's like, and we're going to reevaluate at mile 50. So he's saying, you know, just ride 24 more miles. That's 
all you have to do. And then if you want to quit, you can quit at mile 50. So I get back on the bike and I'm kind of going through in my head what I'm going to tell people. And I started thinking about my dad. And my dad is always, I mean, no excuses. Marine Corps, grew up really strict. Um, just, just you, there's no excuses. And I was like, I'm just going to tell my dad I quit because I was tired. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, everybody's tired. <laughs> like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, mm. every single person here is tired. Mm. The volunteers are tired. The race director is tired. My crew is tired. And the more I started thinking about, like, that's my excuse – And then I kind of went through like a systems check on my body. I was like, all right, well, how's your body feel? Your legs are okay. Your feet, a little swollen, blisters. I'm like, there's really nothing wrong with you except for you're tired. (laughs) And then the more I started saying it, I'm like, that's the worst excuse ever. I mean, you knew you were going to be tired. Like, what did you expect? And then I got really mad. And I got angry. And I started screaming at Jason through off my bike. And I'm like, don't you ever let me talk about quitting again. (laughs) And the truth was, what was so yeah. funny about that day is that I tried to quit and I was, everybody else was behind me. I was doing fine. I was ahead. It wasn't like I was dead last. Oh my goodness. There was only three of us, but I mean, they were behind me. Wow. So I was doing fine relative to everybody else. I was doing great. I was ahead. And that's what was so funny about it is it's, you know, mm. you can't, at that at that moment in time, I couldn't think about that. Like I couldn't. And then when we got to the turnaround on the bike and I realized that nobody had caught up to me still, I was still ahead. I'm like, you're doing great. Like, why are you trying to quit? Mm. You're doing better than they are. You're ahead of them. Danielle, that is what a great picture of life to it. Sometimes we get, I know, at least for me, I think, yeah. oh, but I'm not here. Or I'm just exhausted or I'm overwhelmed and I just want to kind of throw in the towel. And then I forget, wait, look how far you've come. Look exactly. at all that you've done so far. Like, yep. w- what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> It's exactly. just a moment. It's a moment. And and that's really yeah. fortunately all it was mm. is that. You know, and, and there's definitely peaks and valleys. And the the point is, though, when you get to that point where you're down at the bottom, like how quickly can you pick yourself back up and mm-hmm. how quickly? And it's everybody's going to have bad, bad days and everybody's going to have a day where they're just off and have a, you know, a workout that doesn't doesn't go right or a day where you eat, you know, terribly. But the point is just make it a day. Don't make it a week. Don't make it a month. Like that's you have to snap out of it. Right. So. You said something, um, so you gave a reason why somebody asked, what is your why mm-hmm. of why you do this? And I loved what you said. You said, um, the idea of digging yourself out of a psychological hole and being able to finish despite the many setbacks is why I do this stuff. Explain what you mean by that. So I'm always interested in what's going to make me want to quit. Like what, how, how much can I push myself? Like how deep can I go? And, you know, when I was on the side of the road in Maui, I was completely shelled. I was, I was not, there was not one ounce of me that, that wanted to, to move any further than I did, but yet I still did. Like I still figured out a way to do that. And I'm constantly looking for that point. Like how exhausted can I be and still push on? And it kind of makes me you know, that's just kind of how I am in general. And then you, you use those lessons and those opportunities and those situations. And when something bad happens, like something unfortunate happens in your life, you think you've, you've got to, you can push forward. Like you've had so many other setbacks. You've had so many other 
horrible, horrible things that have happened to you, surely, surely like this is nothing. Like you can move past all that other stuff. And it really comes down to just being resilient. And there's people in life that are just more resilient than others. I mean, you you have friends, you have family members who go through horrible things and you see them and you see how they they come out on the other end and you're like, I just I don't un, I don't understand how that person got through that. They're just a very resilient person. And I believe that putting yourself through these it's kind of like training. You're training for resiliency. You don't know how tough you are until you put yourself in a situation where you have to excel and you have to get through it. And the more times that you do that, the more that the tougher that you get Hmm. and that's just how that works and then you get through these you get in these situations in life where you know you might lose your job or somebody in your family might get sick and then you you have to kind of pull from that reserve that Mm. you have that's that's so well put so well put and (laughs) I um I feel like whenever I do work out or do the you know races or whatever there's this clarity that mm-hmm. comes with it that is is crazy because you just it yeah you think it, there's so many parallels to life um, and so many lessons that you I can agree. learn just by going for a run it's crazy yep <laughs> and then you just I mean you feel good yeah and then you you think gosh y- you might have a horrible day at work or somebody cuts you off in traffic or whatever and you just have to realize like I'm so much stronger than this yeah. like I'm I'm so much stronger than I think I am so true yeah. um. Now, part of you being able to complete the Epic Five was that you're the first woman to do this, which is amazing. I mean, that is so great. And congratulations. Thank you. You also mentioned that there is a difference for women, us women being able to complete some of these like long distance stuff. Right. That women actually can do it easier than men. Is that right? Or kind of or we're built differently. <laughs> I think that women are built differently than men. And one of the, the things that I – women race smarter than men do. Hmm. Women are smart. Women um, go into these events, and we have a tendency to be able to look at it as, um, you know, this is a 24-hour event. So I have participated in more than one race where I've had men passing me from, like, the very beginning. And then 18 hours later, I've been passing all of them. Hmm. Um, I think that women just are race a little bit more logically. Um, we don't let ego kind of get in the way. And so when it's a really long distance event, we have a tendency to like pace ourselves from the very beginning. Mm. And then that ends up doing, you know, doing us a huge favor 18 or 20 hours later. Yeah. So I think that women tend to fare better in really long distance Mm. events because we don't, we don't you know, get in our own heads and we don't think, oh, that guy's ahead of us. we got to catch him. Not saying that women aren't competitive because right. we're really, really competitive. Sure. We just race smarter. Yeah, that's and so true. I've seen that happen many, many a times. I've had mm-hmm. lots of guys pass me and then mm-hmm. 10, 15, 18 hours later, I'm passing them because I paced myself. Wow. My dad, uh, he's a PE teacher. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so growing up, I had him in PE in elementary school. And I remember him always talking about like the mile run that we would do. And he would always pull me aside and he said, now Heidi, remember when people start off, there are going to be people that are going to go and just take off. And he said, just pace yourself, keep going. And I promise you, you'll do okay. And sure enough, I was one of the first girls to always cross. But at first everyone would pass me. They'd zoom past. (laughs) And then I would pass these guys that are like huffing and puffing. And like 1400 meters and you're catching everybody. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that the other thing about women too is, 
because, I mean, we're made to suffer. Mm. We do. I mean, we're made to have kids. We're ma- our bodies are made to do this amazing thing called childbirth, and we're just <laughs> literally made to suffer. Mm. Um, our pain and, and uncomfort threshold is higher than men's. I mean, mm. that's just – it's kind of what we do. Yeah, so true. So if someone was listening to this podcast and they're saying you're so inspiring because you totally are inspiring. Thank you. What would you tell people? Like, what's the first step if, if one, they're like, the, the triathlon sounds amazing, but where do I even begin? Um, and then two, maybe it, you know, it, we're talking to the couch potato. They're like, you know, I've got to change some things about the way I eat and the way I exercise. So what would you, what advice would you give to both of those people? So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I think I'd like to do a triathlon, um, I mentioned earlier that I had a great group of friends, and this was, you know, 11 years ago. So this was before there were a lot of tri groups that were out there. But community is obviously really important. Um, so I would definitely tell you, look into um, a beginner triathlon program at one of these local clubs where you can hook up with people that can kind of mentor you and kind of help you get through. This is how you clip and unclip. Um, this is how you run safely at, at night. Just look for a group of people and it's, you know, motivating. It's supporting. Um, they will be able to help you figure out how to train for, you know, loan you equipment so you don't have to have that huge investment of money. But definitely look for that community. Mm-hmm. If you're somebody who is like, I don't even know if I could walk a mile right now if I had to, I would really sit there and make a list of all the destructive things that you do and be really honest with yourself. And some some of you might say, well, I smoke cigarettes and I eat poorly and I don't exercise. You should really look at what's the most destructive thing that I do and get rid of that first and then just kind of whittle your way down. Um, if the worst thing that you do is eat Chick-fil-A twice a month, then you're doing awesome. You're doing better <laughs> than me. But maybe, I mean, there's some people that might have a list that's that's got 10 or 15 items on it. And some things might be really, really bad, mm-hmm. um, like smoking or like drinking a bottle of wine every night. And if that's what you do, you need to figure out how do I either scale this back or eliminate it totally. Mm-hmm. But start with what's the most destructive. And then um, when you start eliminating some of those behaviors, then you can think about replacing them with something that's healthy. So think about, you know, eliminating um, going out to a bar and drinking all night with your friends and replacing it with going in, you know, walking or joining a gym or taking a spin class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. And you wrote a book called Fear No Distance. And if you loved this podcast with Danielle, which I'm sure that you did because she's so inspiring, um, then I think you'll love her book because she goes into more detail. She talks about her journey of going from the couch potato to this amazing athlete. Um, So if if people want to get your book and they want to contact you or follow you, how can they do that? Sure. So I have a website. It's dannygrable.com. And then the book's available on the website, signed copies, um, or on Amazon. And there's a Kindle version on Amazon as well if you don't like paper. (laughs) Um, I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter. I'm a lot more active probably on Instagram. Okay. Yeah, and if you're in Atlanta, I'm out and about and all over the place, kind of doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Okay, awesome. And do you have another race planned or... You know, what's on your horizon? so what's on the horizon for me right now is I'm kind of taking a step back. My mom was recently diagnosed with cancer, so mm-hmm. I'm really just kind of focusing on getting her healthy, getting her well. Um, I do a lot of work with the Kyle Pease Foundation. 
Yes, um, I'm glad you brought that up. I meant to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. So our big thing right now is the Publix Half Marathon in March. Okay. We have 50 teams that are participating. So I am going to be a maniac up until then trying to help um, help organize and help make that successful. Now tell people what the Kyle Pease Foundation is. Sure. So Kyle Pease is an extraordinary human. He's got cerebral palsy. Um, he and his brother, Brent Pease, started the Kyle Pease Foundation, and Brent is my coach. Um, what they do is we pair um, able-bodied athletes with with people with different disabilities, and we race together. So I've run three half marathons where I've pushed someone with cerebral palsy in a race chair, and it's unbelievable. Ugh. And if you think about just kind of um, – there's not a lot of opportunities for people mm-hmm. with disabilities to participate in able body sporting events. Yes. Um, they can sign up for different, um, you know, buddy baseball leagues or, you know, assisted basketball leagues. But you you don't go to a marathon and see um, people with cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. you know, kind of towing that line. Yeah. And it's an incredible opportunity to, you know, promote inclusion. And part of the proceeds from your book go yes. to this yep. foundation. They That's do. so cool. Yep. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for being with us yeah, today. You're so me. inspiring. And um, I just appreciate you taking time to share your journey with us. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. As a Georgia peach, she loves pleasing people. So she wants to know how she can improve the show. So let her know either on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Heidi Rue. Also be kind because she's my wife. And if she has a bad day, then I'm really going to hear about it.